Hi everyone, Nate Green here, and I'm so grateful to be a pastor here at Calvary Church. At Easter, also known as Passion Week, we lift up Jesus as the ruling, risen, and returning King. Consider which of the following events you can come take part in this week at Calvary. Tonight, join us for Biblical and Cultural Insights by Ron Davis on Passion Week through Jewish Eyes. On Thursday night, come remember the Last Supper and gain a deeper understanding of God's redemptive grace through our annual Passover Seder. Tickets are just $25 and they're available online. On Friday night, reflect on Christ's sacrifice and remember all he has done for us at a Good Friday communion service over in the worship center. On Saturday, you can volunteer and help us reach out to the community over at Cabrillo Park for a fun-filled morning that includes Easter egg hunts, live music, and even a gospel presentation. And then it is Resurrection Sunday. Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and return are worth celebrating as truly good news. This is the gospel that is still changing lives. Who can you reach out to to invite to join you here at Calvary to hear the good news and experience the hope, peace, and joy of life in Jesus' kingdom? Pick up a stack of invite cards in the lobby and help spread the word. For details on all of these things, check out today's current or check out our website at calvarylife.org and discover more about life here at Calvary. And I'm Pastor Dave Mitchell, and welcome you as well. We're thankful for Nate Green and his great work with the uh, folks in uh, fourth, fifth, uh, sixth grade, and uh, thankful for what God is going to continue to do through he and his ministry. And we want to welcome you to Calvary Church. We welcome you this Sunday. And one of the ways we welcome guests who come and might visit on a Sunday like this is through the card. It's the little card in the rack that is in front of you. It's an opportunity to be able to communicate back and forth. We love to hear from you, and then we love to be able to respond to any requests you might have for information or prayer requests that you put on there. We'd love to be able to support you in that and uh, have a chance to get to know you a little bit better. Our website, calvarylife.org, gives all the information you just heard from Nate, and we encourage you to take a look at that and pass it on to friends. If you're a guest, we have uh, a gift for you out in the lobby at our connection point, and we'd love to be able to share that with you as well. We want to pray as we begin our service this morning. I want to remember the missionary of the week, and his name is Moran. He is one of our, uh, he and his wife are working in Israel and reaching out to the people there that need Jesus Christ. And it's always fascinating here on Palm Sunday as Jesus entered into Jerusalem and there was great confusion as to who he is and what he's really coming to do. There is still great confusion in Jerusalem and around the world as to who he is and what he is coming to do. So we're thankful that there are people like Moran who have a heart for their Jewish brothers and sisters and to bring Jesus, uh, the greatest Jewish person who has ever lived, into their lives as well as into our lives as well. And even as I pray for Moran, I'm going to remember the believers that are in Egypt. Uh, There have been many dozens of believers who are worshiping on Palm Sunday and uh, had explosions in their church, and many have lost their lives. So we know that there is still an evil world out there that is resistant to Christ and those who follow Christ, and uh, it is a difficult challenge for many as they grieve on this Sunday as well. Let's pray as we look to the Lord for all these matters. Father God, we, we turn to you because, God, you are the great and mighty God, and in you we find the source of life, the source of joy, of love, 
that we are called into through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would minister through Moran and through his family and through the ministry that you have given to him, that, Father, there would be many who would come to know the true Jesus, who died, who came for the purpose of making payment for our sins, that we could have a holy relationship with you. God, we know that's the core of why Christ came. I pray, God, that many would come to know you on this Sunday as well. I pray for us here at Calvary Church, God, that we too, this week, Father, would make Christ known through our deeds and through our words, and that, Father, many others would come to know Christ as well. And, Father, for the dear saints who have lost loved ones in the explosions of terrorism in Egypt, God, we pray for your care for them as well. Uh, Lord, uh, I pray for your encouragement, for your perseverance to keep them moving forward because Christ is still alive. And so we thank you as we come before you. We come to worship and thank you and honor your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. We all will see. Tell him this morning, would you give your heart to him? How great is our God? Sing with me, how great is our God? Would you stand, please? We proclaim the truth of God's greatness. And on this Palm Sunday, we sing of Christ the King. Let's celebrate Christ the King. All right, sing of Jesus now. Water you turned into wine. Yes. Open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. None like you. the darkness we shine out of the ashes we rise there's no one like you none like you yes our God is greater our God is stronger God you are higher than any other our God is either awesome and power The Lord Jesus Christ, our awesome King. Let's see. Into the darkness you shine. Yes. Out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you. None like you. Come on, sing it. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are
Friends, uh, don't sit down yet. Uh, we have some uh, guests with us this morning. They are actually coming into the audience right now. Uh, we've invited some of our elementary kids to come in, our first through fifth graders, and they're going to be singing. As you came in, hopefully you grabbed one of these palm leaves. So if you have that, this is the time. Everybody get that out. And what we're going to do is we're going to be waving these as we're going to sing a couple of Hosanna songs. And everybody knows Hosanna means... Lord, save us. And so our kids are going to be joining us and leading us in worship, and we're going to do this all together. So you know these, and let's uh, do this all together as one family, one body. Here we go. All right, we're going to sing as they come up. Here we go. Hosanna. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Lord, we lift up your name with hearts full of praise. Be exalted, O Lord. clap for that. That's a good thing. All right. Good job. And we got them all up in one song. How's that? Let's sing Hosanna. Praise is rising. Praise is rising. Eyes are turning to you. We turn to you. 
Kids, you guys can all be seated. Kids are going back to their classes here. The king has returned. The prophecies fulfilled. The years of longing are over. 
king has returned. And now all will be made right. Amidst shouts of praise and tears of joy, the pleading for justice, the cries for our enemies' defeat. The king has returned. The king who was driven from his land as an infant, who spent his first years as a refugee, who understands pain and suffering. But this king is not who we were looking for. This king brings justice not over our enemies, but in the midst of our enemies. He brings peace, not in our land, but in our souls. He is the answer to the prayer we did not know we were praying. The king has returned. Long live the king. Long live the King. Good morning. Happy Palm Sunday, Calvary Church. It is great to be here with you today. My name is Eric Wakeling. If we haven't met yet and uh, just excited for what God is going to be doing in us and through us today as we look into this very familiar story of Palm Sunday and hopefully... You can still see me back here. You know, I'm not coming through. But, uh, but you know, we've been doing all this, this happy, joyful singing. We've got the kids and, you know, we're wa- waving our palm uh, branches or leaves and you know, all this joyful sorts of celebration. And it's, it's great. It's good. We're happy. It's awesome. Uh, but I wonder if we have any idea what we're doing <laughs> when we do it. And I want to help us today really just have a great sense of, okay, what is this moment all about? What is going on here in this whole triumphal entry, Palm Sunday moment, this word Hosanna that's maybe a little bit, it's like familiar but strange at the same time. And so for us to get a sense of, okay, what is really going on and what's going on with the, in the minds of those who were there in that moment. And really what's going on, there's a lot of misplaced expectations that are happening in this moment as Jesus is coming in. And so I want for us to get into it, get into the story, to really know, okay, what is going on here? I encourage you, if you haven't already, grab your little notes sheet out of that bulletin that you have with you. You can follow along there. You can see some things that are, uh, some deeper things that are happening in the midst of this. But this uh, story, this account of Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry of Jesus coming in to Jerusalem a week uh, or less than a week before he's crucified and then when he comes back to life again on Resurrection Sunday, that we have four different accounts. There's the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, what I think is going to be kind of interesting for us is to be able to see, okay, what are some of these differences? What are, what's going on in these different accounts? And uh, one thing I was even reminded of this week at the Wednesday night training up the Next Generation class, uh, Brett Kunkel, the speaker, he talked about how eyewitness testimony, he talked about eyewitness testimony, how you have different accounts in the four different Gospels and the way that each eyewitness that then is writing Matthew or Peter talking to Mark or Luke or John, and you have these eyewitness accounts of what's happening and that 
there's, there's differences in it. And when it comes to evidence, it's actually better for eyewitness accounts to not sound exactly the same. Because when they do, it sounds more like people have made up a story and are all, you know, making sure we've got our story straight sort of a thing. And with this, you see the core of the story is the same. And then there's some differences and different flavors that come out. But as we tell the story, I want to have this up here. And if you want to read along in the scripture, you can. Or you can look and see up here of what you see. And you can just imagine as we talk about it. This is the Mount of Olives. Okay, that's what you see on this massive giant screen. And the top, the very top of the picture where you see those buildings, that's where Jesus would have been coming up and over, you know, approximately. (laughs) We don't know the exact spot exactly, but he comes up and over. And as he descends the Mount of Olives, you can even see a little path, a little road on the left side that comes down. There's a, a road that you can walk down even today. So as he comes down that mountain, down that hill, that is when this whole story is happening. When the people are waving the palm branches and the whole thing. And then he comes down to the bottom and that big church in the center of the screen, that's the Garden of Gethsemane. That's the area of the Garden of Gethsemane. And that church is there to celebrate the Garden of Gethsemane, which is the garden. Gethsemane means olive press in Hebrew. So it's the Garden of Olive Presses below the Mount of Olives. So this would have been you know, a workplace, an agricultural work spot. And then that road in the middle, that, uh, that road, you could kind of run that along what is called the Kidron Valley. The bottom there is the Kidron Valley. And then just off the screen to the right, just off the screen is the Temple Mount. Okay, the Temple Mount is right there, just off the screen. So that's, you know, all of this is happening right here in this spot. So as we look, and we'll look first into the account in Matthew, uh, you can imagine it happening up there and picture it. So Matthew 21. When they'd approached Jerusalem, so he's come from Jericho, when they approached Jerusalem, had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her, untie them and bring them to me. The Matthew story is the only one that mentions two animals, okay? This, a donkey and a colt, and bring both of them to me. If anyone says anything to you, this is where Jesus is, he's kind of a baller, as they'd say. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. You know, and that's what happens, where it's just, hey, Say Jesus wants them, and it's just, it happens. And uh, that's, that's pretty impressive right there. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. This is Zechariah 9.9 that is being quoted here. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going on ahead of them and those who followed were shouting this. And we'll look into this a little bit more deeply as we go. But it says, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he. He who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, we'll, we'll talk more, but it means give salvation now, save us, Lord. They're shouting out for saving. And when he had entered Jerusalem, Matthew points this out where others don't, all the city was stirred. 
There's something happening. There's a buzz going on of what's, what's happening in this spot. Who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Okay, so now turn to Mark 11. I'm not going to read all four accounts just verbatim, but I just want to point out a couple things that I think it's interesting here. All right, so Mark 11. You've got, it's all pretty much the same. It's Mark 11, 1. They, you know, they're coming in. They do the whole go get the donkey thing, but it doesn't mention that there's two animals. And they do it. They come back. And then verse 8. Mark 11, 8 says this. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches. Okay, so it just says leafy branches. It's not specifically palms uh, here, which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed both were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then it gives one little different line. It says this, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And this is this nationalistic statement. You know, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Okay, we're going to have that time back then when we were on top. Remember when Israel was on top? Let's get back to that. That's what we're looking for, Jesus. Will you bring that back, please? And so that's kind of what's happening here. And then Jesus enters Jerusalem, came into the temple. uh, And then then it says he goes. It's actually the next day that he clears out all the the money changers and the people that are, uh, you know, making God's house a den of thieves, a house of robbers. All right. So that's Mark. Now Luke. So we look into the Luke account. This is in Luke 19. There's a couple little nuggets in here I want us to see before we start diving in even deeper. Okay, so it's the same thing. He's coming up over the top. He's coming down the mountain called Olivet. He sends the disciples to go get the donkey and all that, the colt. And then, verse 37, As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice. So this is where we're kind of getting some emotion here. This is the first time joyfully is being really mentioned. And and they they said, for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting this. And it's again, just a little bit different. Okay, it's just, it's the same substance, but just got a little different flavor. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And even glory in the highest, this is Luke talking. Back to Luke 2, you've got, you know, glory of the angels and glory in the highest, peace on earth. And he's saying, peace in heaven, glory in the highest. And then the Pharisees, we see at a glimpse here, the Pharisees get mad and say, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to be quiet. And Jesus says, well, even if I told them to be quiet, the stones would cry out. Okay, this is going to happen no matter what you do. You can't stop this thing. And now we finally go to John. Okay, John is where we'll sit a little bit more. But John is interesting. It's in John 12. John 12, uh, you've got in John 11, is where Jesus' friend Lazarus had died, right? And Jesus cries. He weeps over that. In that shortest, easiest to memorize verse, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept, right? That's, that should be in all your little trivia, uh, you know, trivia games. But uh, Jesus weeps over him, but then he goes and he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes back from the dead. He's alive again. It's an incredible miracle. And what we see here in 12.9 is this. The large crowd of the Jews then learned that he, Jesus, was there. And they came, hear this, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. So it's again kind of one of those buzzing, stirring moments where people are here and, okay, did you hear about Lazarus? 
Lazarus came back to life again. I mean, he was in the tomb. He was already in there, and he's, he's back. I want to check that out. I want to see what's going on. So people didn't just come to see Jesus. They came to see Lazarus. But verse 10, the chief priests, here you're going to see this, this just desire for power over truth happen in this moment. The chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. Sometimes we pass over these moments, right? Like this is a moment that we see here. That's, that's the level of the treachery of the religious leaders in this time. And then it's the next day then, verse 12, that the large crowd who'd come to the feast, when they heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took the branches of the palm trees. It's the first time we've read that, right? First time we've read branches of the palm trees. This is my little one I've been, I've been waving. This is my little uh, palm leaf that I uh, was in Israel about a month or so ago. And from somewhere in the middle there, I found a little palm tree and Snag this one off there, and I have it here today. So this is a little palm leaf off of a Mount of Olives palm tree, uh, which I just think is kind of cool. So uh, we've been, I've been waving that. And, and so he grabs these palm, palm branches, it says, the branches of the palm trees, and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And here's another little difference. Even the king of Israel, it says, Okay, even the king of Israel gives this ad that he is the king of Israel. And Jesus, finding a young donkey, doesn't go into the whole disciples thing, sat on it as it's written, Fear not, Zechariah 9.9, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first. Now, if you're writing a, a thing that you're making up, you're not talking about how dumb you are about it, right? So when John is saying these sorts of things, you know, it, it, the disciples are very willing to, to not get it, to point out how they didn't get it when they're writing about themselves. I don't think that's typically in a made-up story. So they didn't get it, but when Jesus was glorified after the resurrection and he ascends into heaven, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. For this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. And then it closes with this. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you're not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. And they've been trying to get him to, you know, get the people to not follow Jesus, but they can't pull it off. The world has gone after Jesus. So that's this way I think is is interesting to me, hopefully interesting to you as well, but just to look at some of these little differences within the story and to get a full picture of what's really going on in this passage. And so I want us to ask this question. Who did they, the people there on the scene, the people on that Mount of Olives that we saw in that picture, who did they expect Jesus to be in this moment as they shout, Hosanna, Hoshiana, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And, and so as they're shouting all of that out, we look into a few of the different uh, people. And first you have the crowds, just the general crowds that are surrounding him in this moment. And it's the season of Passover. The city is filling with people. There's lots of people around. And these crowds are looking to Jesus as this, as what I would just call here simply an earthly king and a deliverer from the Roman occupiers. The land of Israel— 
has been occupied, has been conquered and defeated by the Roman Empire, this strongest empire that exists, right, in the world, and maybe one of the strongest of all time. And that empire is ruling in your land. And they are not just ruling physically and in a military sense, but really they're also coming and trying to change your world culturally. And they're taking your simplistic devotion to God lifestyle and saying, now we're going to entice you with the allurements of, of Roman culture and entertainment and luxury and the, the Greek and Roman mythological gods of how their influence into everything. And so the people of Israel are occupied both physically and spiritually in some way, I think, by this Roman empire. And they want to be delivered. They want to be free from this. And they're in a season of Passover that's all about being delivered from a great enemy and there's lots of examples of how they have been delivered in the past. This whole word, Hosanna, that they're shouting, and this whole thing with the palm branches, it really comes from this, this sense that they're shouting, save us now. When they're saying, Hosanna, give us salvation now, Lord, save us. They aren't saying, Lord Jesus, save me from my sins so that I might then one day be in heaven with you when I die. That's not what they're saying, okay? That's not what's on their mind in this moment. They're saying, save us from these Roman bad guys, please. You know, give us our country back. Let us be independent. And they're shouting some words that are from something called the Hallel. Everybody say Hallel. Come on, yeah, let's get you in here a little bit. So the Hallel, it means praise. Now praise, these, this is a portion of the Psalms, Psalm 113 to 118. And these were a portion of the Psalms that were sung at these different feast times in this praise to God. Uh, some were sung in the, the Feast of Sukkot or Tabernacles. And that has a bunch of leafy branches attached to it. So there's some confusion about what's going on there. And it'll get cleared up for you in some ways. But then also at the Feast of Dedication, which we would today call Hanukkah when the temple was rededicated to God. And we're going to tell that story here in just a second. Or at Passover and some other times. But these are things that people would sing as they go up to Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts. They would sing these words. Now, just remember, as they're going up to Jerusalem, they don't have PowerPoint slides. They don't have their iPads with the lyrics. Okay, these people know the words, all right? They know the words to the songs. So they're not like needing to, to look in their Bibles that they don't have. The scrolls are, you know, few and far between. So these people know the words to all of Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, and probably much more than that. But they're singing these words uh, by heart. And the very end of this portion called the Hallel is this. It's just a few verses away from the very, very end. And you see it up here. Psalm 118, 25 to 26. O Lord, do save. We beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you. Do send prosperity. This is our NASB. The, the NIV just says, Lord, save us. Lord, help us succeed. Okay, that's maybe a little simpler for this moment. But they're just shouting out, Lord, save us. And then, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The house, the temple of God. Where they're at, right? In that picture. And all of that. So, do, you, do those words sound familiar? <laughs> These words are those same words that people would be singing. But they're not just now in this moment singing them up to God as they approach the temple. They are pointing out Jesus and saying these specific words to him. 
Okay? I want you to get that and see the significance of that moment. They are seeing him as Messiah, but as they wave these palm branches, they're, they're waving these palm branches, and these palm branches mean something. Okay? These palm branches aren't just like a cool prop for kids to hold in churches over the decades and centuries. Okay? These are, these are meaningful things here, because what's happening is the palm, the palm branch is a symbol of triumph, victory, nationalistic sort of hope for victory, all of that. Um, and and what, what's going on is that you even have some of the, the waving of the palm branches that become part of some national celebrations in Israel, of hope for their future. There's even the period of uh, the people of the zealots, and even in the time—this is a coin from a little bit later, in the time of the Jewish revolt against the Roman occupiers, about 66 to 70, so, you know, 30-plus years later after this time of Jesus. But this is a coin that has palm branches on it as a symbol of we should have our freedom as a, as a nation. Okay, so they're waving these, and this is the kind of thing they're saying. Now, the thing to remember is— Okay? I think this is a really interesting point of history here, is that just about a couple hundred years before this, a little less than that, the people of Israel had been conquered by a different empire. I mean, unfortunately, they, they're getting conquered a lot. <laughs> and uh, so this is like the Greek empire under Antiochus Epiphanes. And they came in and defeated Israel. And when they defeated Israel, they not only just kind of ruled over the land, they came into the temple— and they put up a statue of Zeus, and then they, they sacrificed a pig to the statue of Zeus in the temple of God. Now, if you know anything about kosher laws and pigs and all that, so you got false gods, you got pigs, this is a massive defiling and desecration of the temple of God. But what happens is there's this revolt. Then the people then rise up under this family called the Maccabees, right, who's helped rules, and they go and they take on, uh, through guerrilla warfare tactics, and they take on this empire, and they defeat Antiochus Epiphanes and drive him out. And then it's this whole thing where they need to rededicate the temple after that. That's what the Feast of Dedication is, what we call Hanukkah. The part that, you know, we tend to hear about is how there's this legend of a miracle that the menorah stayed lit for eight days past the amount of oil they had. And that's what you hear about. But really the core of it is about God, re, you know, about the people rededicating God's temple after it had been defiled. Now here's a couple of passages from the books of Maccabees, just in a historical sense. I know this is not the Bible, but we can look at other historical works. Okay, but uh, interestingly enough, on the 23rd day of the second month, in the 171st year, the Jews entered it with praise and palm branches. Ah! And with harps and cymbals and stringed instruments and with hymns and songs because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. All right, so you see, like, that's the story of this Antiochus Epiphanes being crushed and removed. And then in 2 Maccabees, it says, Therefore, carrying ivy-wreathed wands and beautiful branches, and also fronds of palm, they offered hymns of thanksgiving to him, who had given success to the purifying of his own holy place. And so what you have here is the people of Israel saying, you just did it, God, like less than 200 years ago. Let's do it again. Let's get rid of these Romans. Let's wave the palm branches again and give us that victory. That's the victory that we want. That's the victory that we're crying out for. What it would kind of be like is if 
An enemy nation overtook America, and we are occupied, and we see a person come that we think is going to help save us, and we start launching fireworks as they enter, because fireworks is the symbol of our independence, right? Like, so put it into that sort of perspective. It would be like launching fireworks to a person that you hope will now free your nation from its occupation from that enemy. So that's what's going on in this moment. In this moment, that's what they're asking for. They are, uh, they are believing that Hosanna had come true in the past, and they're hoping it comes true now. That's what the crowd is expecting. Now, the disciples— The disciples are—I'm just going to go kind of quickly through this because the core of that was about the crowd. The disciples are interesting because the disciples just basically in this moment are obeying even though they admittedly don't know what in the world is happening. (laughs) But what's so cool, I think, about the disciples is just almost an aside lesson for us is— Sometimes as God has called us to do things, we might not totally get it, but there's this beautiful obedience in the hearts of the disciples. Like, go get, go get the donkey. Okay, just tell them I said so. Uh, gee, I'm stealing a donkey right now, you know? Like, it's cool. Jesus says so, right? Like, you hope, like, your backstage pass works. And, you know, it's that sort of a moment where they're just obeying. And even though they admittedly don't get it, and I love that they're willing to admit that they don't get it as well. And there's this humble obedience in the hearts of the disciples, especially in contrast to the self-centered, power-hungry nature of the religious leaders. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the chief priests, the Sadducees, often even, and you'll just read in the Bible, it says the Jews did this. And it's referring to the religious leaders, not to the Jewish people as a whole somehow. But they rejected Jesus because he was a threat to their power. They were willing to kill Lazarus just because he was like luring people away from their influence and power. So may we check ourselves in a big way when it comes to power and influence affecting our worship and devotion to God. And so there's these different responses and expectations to what Jesus is doing. Some of it is is beautiful in the sense of obedience or even submission of the people of laying their cloaks before him in this surrendering kind of way, even though they don't really understand what he truly came to do. So then I think the question becomes, right, if the expectations are misplaced, then what was this moment actually about? What was this moment actually about? Was Jesus a conquering king or a suffering servant. And to help us with this, uh, I've asked Ron Davis to come on up. Ron, would you come up? And as he, as he comes, just let me uh, introduce him a bit. Ron Davis is not only the father to Matt Davis, which could make you really respect him or not, depending on your point of view. But, uh, <laughs> no, Matt's my good friend, so I'm just saying that. Love you, buddy. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but he's also a man who, a Jewish man who's come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And he has lived that out, and he's lived in, uh, worshipped in Messianic congregations, as well as been parts of churches like ours. And he also has a degree from Talbot School of Theology in Messianic Jewish Studies. Is that an apologetics of that? And then he also is a missionary with Chosen People Ministries as a missionary to uh, his Jewish people. So, Ron, can you help us just a bit with what, what's this day about? What's going on in this day in, in your mind as you've studied Okay, well, Eric has kind of laid it out really well in terms of what the expectation was amongst the Jewish people. They're expecting some deliverance from the Roman oppression. They're expecting a political, uh, military 
deliverance. And there's two things really that's happening here. One has to do with the Jewish eschatology of the day. And you, you know, you realize, we don't think about it a lot, but the Jewish people have a very specific eschatology. When the Messiah came, there were certain things that were supposed to happen, like deliverance from the enemies, reestablishment of the temple, the sacrifice, the, the worship uh, in, in the temple. There were certain things that were supposed to happen, and they were expecting kingdom, and they were expecting kingdom right now. They weren't expecting it 2,000 years later. And so if we look at the Jewish eschatology, you know, really, if we butt it up against the eschatology that we believe, which is in regard to his second coming, they would be very much the same, only they were expecting the kingdom right now. And so the second thing is what was actually happening on this particular day. And on this particular day, when he rode in, it was a Sunday. It happened to be a Sunday. But more significant than that, on the Hebrew calendar, it was the 10th of Nisan. It was the 10th of Nisan. Passover was on the 14th of Nisan. That's when Jesus, as we call him Yeshua, would be crucified on the 14th of Nisan on Passover. But on the 10th of Nisan, he rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. What is significant about that, and it's a really significant point because we can go all the way back to the law of Moses, to Exodus, when Moses told the Jewish people it was on the 10th of Nisan that they were to separate the lamb that was to be used for the sacrifice on Passover, the Passover lamb. They separated that on the 10th of Nisan because what they were going to do was they were going to watch it. They were going to observe it. They were going to inspect it. They were going to make sure that it was worthy of being a sacrifice at Passover, that it was without spot and was out without blemish. And so when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he rode in as the Lamb of God on the 10th of Nisan. And what is really significant is what happened in those four days between the 10th and the 14th. And we're going to talk about that this evening. At 6 o'clock, we're going to meet. Uh, Matt is going to join me, and we're going to talk about what happened in those four days with Jesus and with the religious leaders and the test that he was put through during that time. And we'll see how he comes out at the end of those four days as the Lamb of God, whether or not he was the perfect sacrifice without spot and without blemish. Thank you, Ron. That's perfect. Thank you so much. I think, yeah. To me, that's fascinating, right? That Jesus is the lamb. In this moment that they're expecting him to be king, he is actually coming in saying, I am being separated and I am being chosen as the Passover lamb that will be sacrificed on the cross to come and will be inspected. Uh, just even on the back of your notes is the little like, detail of some of those things. If you want to go to that class tonight, I encourage you. Uh, Passion Week Through Jewish Eyes with Ron and Matt Davis, where they'll be able to dig into what happens from this moment all the way through to the crucifixion and what is going on when you think about it through that, that lens uh, of the Jewish reader. And so Jesus, though, is this lamb that he didn't come 
to bring, to bring peace to their land, but to bring peace to their souls. As they are shouting, save us now from the Romans, he has a different sort of salvation in mind for them. And really, he has such a bigger, more complete picture for them. They have it, you know, they've got blinders on in some way that we all have of our circumstances, right? That we're in the midst of the current circumstances that we're in, and we can only see what we see in our sense of time and and, and our view of what God's kingdom means and what eternity means and all of that. It's so hard to be able to have the right kind of perspective, and we end up putting these sorts of expectations on on God that are the wrong, misplaced expectations. And so the question becomes, who do you expect Jesus to be, and what do you expect of him? It's the same sort of question that, that he asked his disciples. They're hanging out at a place called Caesarea Philippi. That's that verse in Matthew 16. They're, they're hanging out in this spot that has this huge cliff face, rock cliff face behind them. But built into that were these temples to the Roman gods. And in the, in the shadow of these giant temples to these Roman gods, Jesus is talking to his disciples and they're saying what people think, he, you know, who people think he is. And Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And I think he's asking you that question this morning. Who do you say that Jesus is? What are you expecting Jesus to do for you that might be misplaced? Peter, in one of his rare instances, answers, Well, you are the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And he's getting it. And I want to ask, like, are you getting it? Because the same crowd that was shouting out, Hosanna, save us now, the king of Israel, is the same crowd that less than a week later is saying, we have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. Crucify him. Are we blown by the wind and the waves to whatever our, like, whatever culture or whatever the loudest voice in the room is telling us to believe and we go this way and want Jesus to be this. And we go that way and we want Jesus to be that. And we have all of these things in our life that we want Jesus to do. But what has Jesus said he has come to do? Jesus is the king. He is the lamb. But he is the king still. Okay, I love even as we sang that song, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the king who conquered the grave. Right? It's a good juxtaposition there. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the king who conquered the grave. And so I just ask you in the midst of this, do you really believe that Jesus is that kind of king, that Messiah, Redeemer, the Savior of your sins, not just the Savior of your circumstances? Because we all want Jesus we all know, we, we know we want Jesus to save us from our sins, but I think a lot of the times we want Jesus to be the giver of money and wealth and health and happiness and all of that. The things that we need, the things that we feel that are difficult, we want Jesus to come through. And if he doesn't do what we want in those moments, we think that Jesus isn't true or he's silent or he's abandoned us or something in the midst of that. And Jesus says, hey... I am the lamb and the king, but it doesn't mean it's going to be in the way that you want me to be 
Don't place your expectations on me. Listen to who I'm saying I am. Because I think he helps us to understand what is healing. That yes, he can bring healing to our bodies, but he also brings healing to our hearts and our souls. That what is provision, right? What does that mean for God to provide for you? It doesn't mean the house of your dreams, You know, that's not what provision looks like. What does it mean to have freedom? What does it mean to have peace? These sorts of questions that that Jesus redefines for us. But he's also a God that he cares deeply for all of those, those, those desires of your heart, those things that you struggle with. He cares about you in the midst of those moments. He's there for you. He's walking alongside of you. He's with you in the midst of those things. But what's hard is we can have a, a mental assent to, you know, okay, I get it. Yes, Lord Jesus, you came to save souls, not circumstances, right? We can get that in our head. But what happens is when life smacks us down, it's a really hard moment to remember, right? It's a really hard thing to remember that, that we feel like, Lord, like Jesus, where are you in the midst of this? And he's with you and he's caring for you. But I know that like, it even kind of messes with my mind sometimes when I know this stuff, you know. Like when you know this stuff and you have something that you really want. And you think, oh, okay, but I really want that. But does God actually care that I want that? Or does he actually want me to learn something or grow? And you're like, no, I don't want to grow. You know, Lord, I don't want to grow. I want to have what I want to have, right? And, and so we can get into that mode. And I just, you know, I, I can, I see myself getting in that mode a lot with things that I really want so badly or things I don't want to happen so badly. Those hurts in our lives. And it's so hard to submit and to surrender to Jesus in the midst of that moment. What I encourage you is to do just that. To lay down your cloak. To lay down your palm branch. And to say, God, I submit and I surrender to you. And to begin to think through some of these questions like these of, what does that mean that Jesus is the king of our lives? What does this mean that, you know, in our everyday lives, I think these questions are in your bulletin in the outline. You can I think this would even be a good thing to journal through of, Lord, what does this look like for you to be the king of my life? What does that mean when I submit and surrender to your kingship? It's not, it's not about Jesus. I mean, Jesus led by example when he said, not my will to the Father, but your will be done. We pray those same words to Christ. And so my prayer for you is that Jesus would begin to soften and change our hearts, and in the midst of those really hard times or those things we want really badly, that Jesus would be king and reign in our lives. So let's pray, and we're going to pray now in this moment. We're going to pray that um, for our offering as well, that as we, as we give our offering to the Lord, we pray. And it's, a, it's an example even, I think, of our surrender to him as king, as we give up that thing that we can hold most tightly. And so let's pray for that and continue to worship Jesus, who is the Lamb and who is the King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. This amazing example even that we can read about and know from your word of what you are like, God. And what you have come to do and who you claim to be. And Lord, I pray that you would help us when we place our expectations on you, 
Lord, I pray that we would be able to surrender those and submit to what your expectations are of us. Lord, I pray for that for each of us. And not just in a trite, easy way, but in the really hard stuff of life, God. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide the ransom for my life oh he is my son would you try with me let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run the fountain I drink from oh he is my let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life. Oh, he is my son. You are good. Lord, you are Let the king of my heart be the wind inside my sails, the anchor in the waves. Oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins, the echo of my days. Oh, he is my song. You are Psalm 25 says, according to your love, remember me, O Lord, for you are good.
servant king. Mark chapter 12 says, for the Son of Man did not come to serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. Let's try it together. I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus Oh, praise His name. 
and shout, we love you, Lord Jesus, save us. But we know what we're saying when we say it, right? And and when we have the right sorts of expectations, we'll never be disappointed. We can't be disappointed when we expect the right things from God and we have our hope in him. But I want to just remind us even of what was said in Matthew 16 to the disciples, to Peter, when he said, but who do you say that I am. And so hear that question in your own heart and mind right now. Who do you say that Jesus is? And I would ask if you are ready today, possibly for the first time, to respond the way that Peter did to say, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And if you are ready to respond in that way, I encourage you as we pray to say that 
to Jesus, to pray, to respond to him. And we'll have some folks available at these prayer points up here uh, to pray with you about that, to come forward at the end of the service and to pray to receive Jesus Christ, receive his salvation, the salvation from our sins. So I encourage you in that today. And I encourage the rest of us, as we believe that message, to take that message out from here. Even with those Easter invitation cards, to go and to invite people to hear the hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ as we talk about that next Sunday. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we so are just so immensely grateful and thankful for what you have done, Lord Jesus for your life, for your death, and for your resurrection. And as we are asked that question of who we say that you are, Lord, I pray for those in this room today that have not placed their trust in you, Lord, that we would say, Lord Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. And that we would follow you with our lives. Lord, we pray that we would see many come to that point today through this week and next Sunday. God, may your spirit work in us and through us, Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you go. He became sin who knew